the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who opportunity to welcome our KKVV listening audience on the 1060 AM dial. We're glad to have you, our regular listeners, and those maybe for the first time, uh, to our Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church at Worship. Today is a special day as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. However, we also have a special message for this time. Our speaker today is none other than our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Before he comes to us today, we'll be favored by a sacred selection by Sister Deborah Ellis, followed by our speaker, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Hear ye him. As everyone has been saying this weekend, we are celebrating Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. The Via Dolorosa is believed to be the way or the actual path that Christ walked in Jerusalem that day, literally translated meaning the way of suffering. Down the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem that day The soldiers tried to clear the narrow street But the crowd pressed in to see a 
to die on Calvary. He was bleeding from a beating. There were stripes upon his back. And he wore a crown of thorns upon his head. And he bore with every step the scorn of those who cried out for his death. Down the Via Dolorosa, call the way of suffering. Like a lamb came the Messiah, Christ the King. But he chose to walk that road out of his love for you and me. Down the Via Dolorosa, all the way to Calvary. Por la Via Dolorosa, tristia dia in Jerusalem. Los soldados le abrían paso a Jesús. Mas la gente se acercaba para ver al que llevaba aquella cruz. Por la Via Dolorosa, que es la Via del Dolor, como aveja vino Cristo, Rey y Señor. Y fue Él quien quiso ir por su amor, por ti y por mí. Por la Via Dolorosa, al Calvario a morir. The blood that would cleanse the souls of all men made its way through the heart of Jerusalem. Down the Via Dolorosa, suffering like a lamb came the messiah christ the king but he chose to walk that road out of his love for you and me down the via dolorosa all the way to calvary Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Sister Ellis. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for being willing to walk the lonely path of suffering and sacrifice for us. And as we gather today to commemorate and to celebrate. We pray that the Holy Spirit, the holy angels will push out of our hearts and this building all extra secular thoughts and lock us in and strengthen us for the journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture today, as we come to commemorate and celebrate the sacrifice and the ascension of our Lord, has 
location in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, and also Matthew 20. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 21, we read, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then, Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And then Matthew 20, verse 19. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Our topic today is, yes, he could. Three words. Yes, he could. The number three seems to play a very important and unusually significant role in the ministry of Christ. Here we know that in the one book of Matthew in three chapters very closely aligned, three times he tells his disciples that he will be crucified, but that he will rise on the third day. Most of the times, I hasten to add, or many of the times, when this three number involvement comes into play, there are positive vibes, such as when the three wise men came to celebrate his birth, bringing him gifts, or when the three heavenly visitors, Enoch, Moses, and Elijah, talked with him and encouraged him on the Mount of Transfiguration. But those were probably exceptional cases, and most of the time, his larger challenges and sorrows could be counted somehow involving, as here with his prediction of his death and resurrection, involving the number three. As a child, for instance, he was lost from his parents, Luke chapter 2, and he was lost for three days. After his baptism, he was taken into the wilderness and he was severely and excruciatingly tempted three times by the devil, Matthew chapter 4. And twice, scriptures tell us, during his ministry, the Jews sought to stone him, but three times they officially plotted to arrest and jail him before his work was finally done. And at the end of his life in Gethsemane, you will recall, three times he found his disciples sleeping while he was agonizing with the Father, preparing for the final ordeal. And three times while they slept, he pleaded with the Father that if there be any other way to save the human race, this bitter cup of suffering and death, pass him by. And when he was arrested, even before he got to Pilate with the first formal governmentally structured case or hearing, he was tried three times by the Pharisees. The first time by Herod, who was the governor in Judea. The second time, the first time by Annas, who was the 
elderly high priest before he got to Herod. The second time by Caiaphas, who was the reigning high priest, and he and Annas got together and conspired. And the last time by Caiaphas, the younger reigning high priest, who was less thought of than Annas. So three times before he got to Herod, the high priest had already tried him. And in doing so, the Jews broke three distinct rules of jurisprudence assembly. First of all, it was against the Jewish law to hold court at night. The law said you could not have a trial at night. Secondly, the law said you could never try a person on Friday. And since they had arrested him on Thursday night and the evening and the morning are the way we count days in Jewish chronology, they were trying him on the sixth day, the day of preparation. And then the third rule they broke was that the Jews were never to have a trial or a court case during Passover. But it doesn't stop there. Even when they had the session together, with all of the rules that they broke, they had three, count them, three false accusations that they brought against him. The first was the accusation of sedition, for they said, this man says you should not pay tax unto Caesar, which was a distortion of the lesson that he had given with the coin. But they were hoping that by sticking him with that accusation, they could anger the Romans. And so they prepared, Annas and Caiaphas, they prepared to trump up a charge that would not only anger the Jews, but the Romans as well. And the second false charge was that of blasphemy. They said, this man says he is the son of God. And he says he is so powerful that he can tear down the temple. And they knew that the Romans loved the temple also because the Romans had helped to build the temple. And even though it was a Jewish place of work and worship, the Romans were proud of their handiwork in putting it together. And so they trumped up the charge of blasphemy regarding the temple and his claim to be the son of God. And the third false claim that they lodged was one of treason, sedition, blasphemy, and treason. And the count of treason simply said, he claims to be king, and we have no king but Caesar. Imagine this people being oppressed, this people being misused and abused, this people who hated Rome and who longed for a Messiah who would come and deliver them from Roman oppression, this people now, in order to get at the very Messiah whose presence they did not understand, were willing to tell Rome, we have no king but Caesar. And then they did take him to Pilate. Early that morning, Scholars believe that by now it must have been around 6 o'clock in the morning when Pilate listened to him and heard their schemes. And Pilate, understanding during the trial that he was from Nazareth of Galilee, said, I'll send him over to Herod, who is king of Galilee. Pilate being simply the governor in Judea. And when he went to Herod, Herod was curious and listened. And that was his second formal governmental trial. But there was a third one because he sent him back, Herod, back to Pilate, saying, I don't know what to do with him. He won't even answer my questions right. And so the third case was made. The third court was set. And once again, Pilate convicted in his heart that this man was innocent. Ask the people, who would you that I give unto you, this Jesus or Barabbas, 
And they cried, Barabbas. And Pilate, having been warned by his wife, washed his hands and said, What evil hath he done? And three times, there it was again, three times, Pilate said to them, Why do you want to crucify him? I find no fault in him at all. And when they had taken him from Pilate's judgment hall, in that third and final trial, and dragged him to Calvary, and nailed him on a cross, he was one of three people being crucified. And his cross was in the middle and higher than the other two, signifying that he was the guiltiest of the three. And there he hung for six hours, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And the first three hours, from 9 unto 12, Jesus was in full view of the gaping, gazing, greedy mob as they hurled insults at him. Hanging there, and the artists are kind to put a loincloth around his midriff. Hanging there in all probability, as they most often hung criminals with no clothing at all, Jesus, exposed to the children and the men and the women, as they spat at him, talked about his birth, made fun of his claims, dared him to come down. He'd already been beaten and whipped and spat upon in the courts of the Jews and the Romans. But now the helpless Christ hung, bleeding and wounded while they jeered and made fun and said, now tell us you are the Son of God. Now, you who claim you were here before Abraham, what do you got to say for yourself now? Now, you who said, tear down the temple and you're going to build it up, look at you. And then at noon, nature took over. And from noon until three, when he finally died, a cloud covered the cross and hid the suffering Savior from the view of the angry, jeering mass. Now, for the last three hours of his life, the elements that he made could not stand to see their maker so jeered and mistreated. So they shrouded their Lord from the angry view of the people. And for three hours, Jesus wrestled with God and himself. For three hours, hidden from the view of the masses, he spoke to the Father. And the last three things he said, Matthew indicates in, Luke indicates in chapter 23, the last three things he said were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then to the thief who had confessed, today I say to you, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Not thou shalt be with me today, but today, come, correctly, Translated, you will, I say to you, you will one day be with me in paradise. And finally, Father, verse 46 of Luke 23, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and he died. And then came the final three, the final test. He had said, as we read in the beginning, Destroy this body, and in three days I will build it up again. But could he do it? Could he actually die, cease to be, be reduced to a lifeless corpse? And I don't know how many of you 
have had physical presence with lifeless corpses. But I did recently. I did recently when I stepped into the room and felt the warm body of my mother, felt for a pulse all by myself, checked her out, checked the remains, and finally realized that the struggle was over and realized that there would never be life again in that body in this world. I don't know how many of you have had an experience like that, but it's all over, folk. The suddenness of it, the completeness of it, the totality, the realization that never again, never again, could Jesus come from this condition of a lifeless corpse and again become a breathing, walking, talking man? Could he do it? The answer is yes, he could. Yes, he could. But he could only do it under three conditions. Number one, he could do it if he had died without ever committing any sin in his life. Had he committed one single sin, just one, he would have been under the condemnation of Romans that says the living know, of Ecclesiastes that says the living know that they shall die, and of Romans that says the wages of sin is death, and he could never have risen again. He could, but he could only do it if he actually rose within a three-day period. Any longer than three days, putrefaction would have set in and the body would have begun to rot. He had to get up within a three-day period. And number three, he could do it, but only if the divine Christ, who had somehow hooked up with the human embryo in Mary's womb, would now hook up with the human corpse in Joseph's tomb. We don't have any scientific way of explaining that. We don't know how divine God became a part of humanity in Mary's womb. And we don't know how the divine Jesus, who was separated from his covering, which was the human Jesus, we don't know how all that separation went. But we know that for three days, the human Jesus was dead while the divine Jesus was still living. And at the end of the three-day period, the divine Jesus hooked up again with his human covering that had laid the still in the tomb and Jesus rose. Satan had failed to soil his character when he was alive, and now he failed to spoil his body when he was asleep. He tried to hold him in the grave by putting strong, evil agents around the opening of the tomb and stationing his mightiest emissaries on the four corners of the atmosphere to save him from angels who would bring him up again. But he was foiled by the fact that the divine Christ hooked up again with the sleeping torso. And when he did, the Jesus who died early rose on time. He died from a broken heart. But he rose before decay could start. And that is because the can't-die Son of God got back together with the could-die Son of Man. And when he did, a nerve twitched in his brain and his resting heart began to beat again. Amen. And his rich blood began to flow 
through the arteries and veins of his system, oxygenating the cells and members of his flesh and profusing his torso and its extremities. And Jesus, right on time, just like he said it would, just like he prophesied it would happen, Jesus, who was dead, now lived again. Amen. Yes, he could, and yes, he did. Our sweet Jesus rose. Our sacrificial lamb got up. Our living, loving, long-suffering Savior was alive again. Crucified on Friday. Risen on Sunday. But rested on the Sabbath in between. He rose. Yes, he could. And yes, he did. But it's more than a beautiful story. It's more than a tender narrative. It's a call to commitment. His fulfilling of his word is a cry for followers. He wants disciples and he's asking for members of the church who are willing to sacrifice. He is saying to you and me, this is what I did for you. Now how much are you willing to do for me? How much are you willing to give up? Some friendship? Some job? Some dream? Some cherished ambition? How much are you willing to give up for me? Something you like to eat and you know is wrong to make it practical? How, how much are you willing to give up for me? And when we come to communion, we do so with a solemn and sober realization that this man died for us, that his blood might cover our sins, but having risen, he gives us his robe of righteousness and he says, I will help you. I know you'll never be as perfect as I was, but here's my life. And I'm going to judge you not on who you really are, but I'm going to judge you. God is going to judge you on my life. He's not going to see you. He's going to see me covering you. All I want you to do is love me and follow me and be willing to sacrifice all. Today, I'd like to renew my covenant. And I'm going to call on, first of all, the elders of Abundant Life who are here today. Do you join me, elders, in expressing appreciation for this sacrifice? And if so, are you willing to continue your sacrifices and to even do more so if God calls? Would you like to stand, elders of Abundant Life, wherever you may be? And let me broaden it. What about board members? You are the elected leaders. Do you join me in saying, yes, he could, and by his grace, I can and I will. Members of the church board, do you join me in rededication this Sabbath? If so, would you stand? These are your leaders, brothers and sisters. But then we're all precious and equal in God's sight. These just happen to be those we see most often. But if you are a member of this church and you say to Jesus today, he did and by his grace and by his help, I will, I can. Would you, brother and sister, like to stand and join us in rededication on this communion Sabbath? If you are a member of the church, Maybe you're a member of God's commandment keeping church some other place. You're invited to stand. And if you're not a member of this church, but you love this Jesus and you love his commandments and you want to stand and say, I want to know more about this Sabbath. I'm glad to be here worshiping on the Sabbath, but I, I need to know more about it. Maybe I should be worshiping every Sabbath. 
And you'd like to stand and say, pray for me that I may get full knowledge and full information and follow him all the way. Would you like to stand and join us in rededication? Christian, whoever you are, doesn't matter what church you belong to, if you're a Christian who wants to follow him along with God's commandment-keeping people, I invite you to stand for prayer and to say yes. Oh, Father, we're all on our feet now. And we're standing because we do want to walk in the footsteps of sacrifice and commitment and surrender that our Lord exemplified on the cross. Thank you for his example. He fulfilled his promise to us to rise on the third day. And one day he's going to fulfill his promise to come again. And whether we sleep or live, we want to be ready. And now as we separate, we do so, pleading that you will accept our commitment and infuse us with the Holy Spirit to be faithful to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. And while we remain standing, let's explain all here are invited to participate in the next service. The ordinance of humility has to do with the foot washing. The ladies will exit to my right, to your left. The men through the main lobby. And for the next 30 minutes or so, we'll be engaged in a miniature baptism. And as the water washes on our feet, we're simply having a rebaptism. The water is saying to Christ, take away any dust, any self, any sin in my life. And then we come back together joyfully. We will partake of the emblems of his broken body and his spilled blood. And we're all, all of us, invited to participate. We'll ask our deaconesses now to guide us, lead us. Thank you. We'll open this door. Our ladies will go. Our men will go to the rear. We will gather as soon as we have finished for our visit to the table.
462. 462, if we could sing that, that first stanza there. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Sing it like you mean it. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. congregation now join us in singing the first stanza of number 403 let us break bread together on our knees number 403 let us break bread together knees let Break bread together on knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, oh Lord, have mercy on me. time we shall ask Elder Emiliano Valdez if he will read for us our scripture. Take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Now we ask that we should all bow our heads as prayer for the bread is offered by Elder O.D. Hudson. Father God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the bread which represents your body that was hanging on Calvary. Lord, we now ask your blessings upon the bread. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Has anyone been overlooked? Nice to have some quiet time with God, isn't it? Just to meditate. We live in a world of rush, a world of hustle and bustle, and we get up in the morning, the phone is ringing, the children have needs. We look to a busy day, and sometimes we don't pray and study as much as we should. But we are reminded by the bread, which is a broken body of Jesus, that it is the Holy Scriptures that give us life. And if we don't eat the Word in our daily study, we grow weak. And that's when we lose faith, and that's when we lose courage, and that's when we lose hope. The bread represents the body of Christ. And Jesus said that man should not live by the bread alone that we use at the dinner table, but by the bread of His Holy Word and this, the broken bread we take of today, is simply a reminder that it's the Holy Scripture, it's the Word of God that feeds us, it gives us muscle and strength to live for Him. And we can't make it without the Word. It's His broken body revealed in Holy Scriptures. And it's a daily partaking. We can't do it once or twice a week, we've got to do it every day to stay strong for every day's temptations and every day's trials. May God help us to remember and be faithful in this regard. the scripture tells us that when Jesus had sat with his disciples and given them the bread he invited them to eat and to remember that this bread symbolizes his broken body 